Thank you so much for joining us for this journey through the book of Romans by Pastor Sumiko Stroud of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center located in Bremen, Georgia. To find out more information about our ministry, just log on to www.kingdomrock.org. And now here is Pastor Sumiko Stroud with Part 7, Journey Through the Book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 6 is where we will be today. We are starting in this section on our outline uh, entitled Sanctification. I have no idea what section that is at this point. Um, D, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so sanctification is going to cover uh, Romans chapters 6 through 8. Is D? All right, good. Section D, uh, sanctification. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, chapters 6 through 8. We will only cover chapter 6 today. Okay? And then possibly 7 and 8 combined. If not, this section may take us three weeks instead of two. Before we get into uh, chapter six, just a little review, try to bring us all up to speed, what we've been talking about. Uh, so far, we know that we all need salvation, and salvation comes uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We can be justified or put in a position as if we had never sinned. Now, we talked before about headship, Adam, and Jesus. We are all descendants physically of Adam, and by Adam, by his act of disobedience, we are all born as sinners. We all okay with that? We, well, I mean, not okay with it, but you understand where we're going. <laughs> because of his act, um, of disobedience. He disobeyed God. And now because we are sinners, we sin. Okay? Now, Jesus, because of his act of obedience, he obeyed God. Because of him, and I'm going to take liberties and make a word, we can become non-sinners. Okay? Through headship. Now, physically, we all come through the line of Adam. Spiritually, if we um, are born again, hence being born again, we can come through the line of Jesus Christ. And instead of being born as sinners, we can now be born again and become non-sinners. Okay? Now, can non-sinners sin? Yes. yes. Yes, we can. But... When we are non-sinners, we become dead to sin. That means dead to the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over us. So that means we can sin, but we don't have to sin. It's not controlling us. You can submit yourself to its control, or you cannot Kind of like two kings, and the example we're going to use, example that um, that I had that I received in my study, uh, is Saul and David. Now, if you're not familiar with King Saul and King David, you're going to have to take a trip back to First Samuel in the Old Testament. You'll have to do that on your own time. Good stuff, though. 
the stuff that soap operas are made of. Good stuff. Okay, so if we say we had uh, here, Saul was anointed king over Israel. Israel wanted a king. God did not want a king. He wanted to continue with just the priest and they serve him. But no, no, everybody else around us has a king. We want a king. So God gave them Saul. Saul was anointed king. Saul looked kingly, you know, physically king. Uh, but Saul had a problem with what? Sort of similar to Adam with obeying what God uh, wanted him to do because he got all caught up in the people. I better do what these people say. I know what God said, but there's a whole bunch of these people and they're looking at me and I think I'm going to do what they want. So Saul disobeyed God. Uh, the uh, kingdom was taken from him and given to David, a man who was t- as, uh, described as being after God's own heart. Now, David wasn't perfect, um, but he, his heart was submitted uh, to God. He was more concerned about what God felt or how God considered him than the people. So now... The kingdom, and when you read about Saul and David, although David was anointed king, he wasn't able to take his position right away. Saul still stayed in the position of king. So people could still pledge their allegiance to Saul if they wanted to, and some did. Or they could choose to follow David, which some did. And that's what we can do. Even though we are now dead to sin, we can choose to still follow uh, the regime of Adam and we can still serve sin if we choose to. But we don't have to. There's a better uh, regime in place. But it comes down to choices. We'll talk a little bit more, a little bit more about those choices uh, today. So that is where we are. Now, dead to sin, non-sinners, I like to think of it this way. We're all familiar with vegetarians, right? They don't eat meat. Can they eat meat? Yes, they can. If you see somebody who says that they are a vegetarian, but every time you see them, they got a porterhouse on their plate, after a while, you're going to start to think, I don't know what kind of vegetarianism they're practicing, but something is not right. Same thing with us. You can go around and say all day that you're a Christian, but you keep living like a sinner, and after a while, people are going to be like, ah, I don't know if they really understand what it's going to be about. Now, the vegetarian who decides to eat meat, it's going to be a little uncomfortable with them at first because their body's not used to processing it. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. But the more they do it, the easier it will become. When we are born again and we are identified with Christ, we can sin and it will be uncomfortable at first. But if you continue in it, the easier it will become. Okay, So don't think that you are going to be now physically impossible for you to do wrong. Um, But keep in mind If you're a vegetarian, leave the meat alone. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to partake in it, okay? 
So that's an example that I can sort of work with. So maybe that'll be an example you can kind of work with. All right. Chapter 6. No, no. End of chapter 5. It, at the very last, it says, shall we continue? Now, at the end of chapter 5, we're talking about grace. And what we realize is that grace was here from the beginning. There was grace. Adam, uh, God dealt with Adam and Eve uh, under a system of grace. Um, the early patriarchs, all up to Moses, uh, was under a system of grace. And then after that, when Moses, uh, the Lord gave him the law. Now, the law was not to replace grace. It was sort of a temporary thing to show us that we needed grace. Because the law, you remember we said, the law is a mirror and shows us just how wretched and undone we are and how we need God and we can't do this on our own. And so that's what the law was to, was to do, to show us that we needed grace. Okay? And now we're back under, being able to operate under grace uh, through our belief in Jesus Christ through the work of the cross. Now, because we are under grace, the more that we sinned, the more that God's grace abounds. So now, should we continue in sin because we have grace? And that's where chapter 6 picks us up with a lovely phrase, God forbid. Right? Just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. Now, unfortunately, this will give us a couple of extremes because people like extremes. So you'll have uh, some groups, Christians, who take the extreme point of legalism. And then you'll have some that, because of grace, will take the extreme viewpoint of license. Legalism is law-focused. You're looking to the law, and you're telling people, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go here, you can't go there. We're focusing on the law, right? We are always telling people the do's and don'ts of being a Christian. you got to obey these commands, and this is how you have to live. People who are legalistic become or have a tendency to be hateful, bitter, extremely judgmental. And after a while, it will go past just you can't do this and do that because of what the law says, and it will start to be some of their own rules and regulations. Case in point, I used to be a part of this church, and one of the things that they said we couldn't do was going to the movies. You couldn't go to the movies if you were a Christian. Now, I was young, teenager, and new to being a Christian. Now, I had been in church, you know, all my life. I sort of inherited my church going. But <laughs> I had not become a Christian in my heart until I'd had an experience with the love of Christ. So you can't get those confused. Some people are real good churchgoers. And we were good churchgoers because not only did we go, you know, to the required Sunday morning stuff, but, you know, we would go to these conventions that happened every so often and do stuff. We would be the kids on program. You know, we would do... Yeah, the extra church going. So not even just the mandatory, but the extra. But after I'd had an experience with Christ and become born again, I was in a different ministry. And one of the things that they said is that you could not go 
uh, to the movies. And I, for the life of me, can understand. Now, it's not that we went to a lot of movies, because you remember I told you before, we weren't the wealthiest of people. Uh, so it wasn't like I was hanging out at the movie theater. I was you're probably really shocked, like, what do you mean going to movies? Ain't it going to come on TV? <laughs> but <laughs> I grew up without cable. And I remind my children that I turned out just fine. <laughs> but at any rate, you couldn't go to the movies. Now, is there a commandment that says thou shalt not attend showings of pictures on large screens and crowds while consuming mass quantities of popcorn? It's not there, is it? So where did they get this? I was curious. What's the big deal about going to the movies? Well, as it turns out, there are some people that when they go to the movies, don't actually watch the movie. I was shocked and amazed. They break a few of the other commandments <laughs> while they're in the darkened movie theater. And I know, Nick, right? Um, <laughs> having paid all that money to get in. And so that became translated as it's wrong to go to the movies. Legalism. Now, if you just teach people that you are supposed to love God and serve him no matter where you are, that takes care of that. Then you don't have to start giving me a list of places I can't go. Because people that were prone to do those acts in the movie theater now just has to be a little bit, they have to be a little bit more creative. Well, we can't go to the movies. Hmm. We can still go to the grocery store. Parking lot gets dark. You know, so I'm saying, you know, you could, you will, you will find a way. Wrong finds a way. But legalism just points at you. It just sort of gets the, um, it doesn't get to the root of the matter. It just tries to cut at symptoms, you know, just sort of cutting the branches off trees, but not getting rid of the tree. And so that's the extreme that legalism will take. Well, then the other extreme is like, we're under grace, man. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do because I've repented. I've you know, made myself. I'm, I'm, I'm been, you know, I've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ on my life. I'm at one with God. I'm now free to do whatever. Well, license has a tendency to be focused on the flesh. Do whatever you want to do. God loves us. He accepts us as we are. I'm a work in progress. I don't have to try to make any changes. Don't make me try to, you know, adhere to the law. I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever feels good. Another extreme, because then we're taking advantage of the grace of God and saying, I want you to cover my sins, but I don't want to make any change. I want to keep living the way I'm living. Now, where we should be is here in the middle under sanctification, which is a process. And our focus here is on the Holy Spirit. Because we've accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit is coming to our lives and he is doing a work in us, making us clean. Justification, remember we said, was instant. It was an act. It's a legal, a legal matter between us and God. Uh, the cross took care of our sins. We're justified as if we had never sinned uh, before. We are uh, at one with God. We are at peace with God. Uh, it's instant. doesn't matter what kind of life you, you have lived. Uh, when you repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
justification is instant. It doesn't matter how long you live after that, that deed is done. Sanctification is what happens next. It's a process. It's focused on now our relationship with God. It's a living relationship. It takes time. The Holy Spirit uh, works in us. Yes, we are free. I don't have to sit around and every time I get ready to do something, let me look in, in, the, in the Old Testament and see if there's a rule for that. And no, okay, we're good to go. No, it doesn't do that. Because under the process of sanctification, I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, right? In our example earlier, I want to be a vegetarian. I don't want to eat meat anymore because I'm now not saying that this is God's acceptance. <laughs> My example, I want to be a vegetarian because I believe this, this makes me closer to God. I don't want these other things. Now, am I tempted by a hamburger? Yes. I like something to hold my A1 sauce, right? But what the Holy Spirit does is help me to say no when somebody brings me a steak. Now, I may say no today. I may say yes tomorrow. But then the next day, he will help me again to say no. Are you following me? Opportunities will come, but he gives me the strength to say no to those opportunities. Not because, well, I got to make sure that I abide by the law, but because it's about relationship. Now, when we're in relationships with one another, you do things or you don't do things that you could do because you're concerned about how it affects that person. Not because I hope you all aren't keeping a tally sheet so that then you can bring it out and say, I did the laundry, I I, um, washed the dishes, and I cooked. So you owe me some things, right? That would be more of a legalistic, you know, approach to it. We're in relationship with God. We're doing things because we want to be drawn closer to him and because we are saying that we are Christians, right? I'm saying I'm the vegetarian, to keep with our example. And when other people look at me, they should be able to see an example of what that kind of lifestyle means. So that if they want to be a vegetarian, then they can come and ask me, well, how's it done? I see you've been living that life. Can you show me? You don't want somebody to come and say, you know, where you say, well, I'm a Christian. And they'll be like, I've known you for 15 years. I did not know that. That should not be a surprise to people. Well, I've been serving the Lord for 30 years. Huh. I did not know that. You cover it well. You know, you don't want that to be the situation. Okay. So now in chapter 6. Paul is having to deal with people that are at these extremes. He knows that once I have presented to them uh, justification, I'm going to have some people that do that. They're either going to be very legalistic, because you remember he has a Jewish audience, uh, and they have grown up on the law, so they're not going to let it go easily. And he also has a Gentile audience, and so he's prone to now have these Christians that are at either of the extremes, and he's telling them it's not all the way to the left, all the way to the right, but it's the process of sanctification. Now, he tells us there's a couple of things that we can do so that we can live a victorious life. And one of those is understanding one basic truth is that we are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, 
when you are, that's not right. When you are identified with somebody, what does that mean? That means you are connected to them. If I identify, or it means that you can, you, you are associated with them. If I, if I'm go, if I go somewhere, Dick and S and I go uh, to a function where nobody else knows us, but we come together, then I'm going to be identified with her. So that if I stand up and act a fool, people are going to look at her. Right? They're going to look at me and they're going to look at her because we came together. Right, and we should have, there should be some commonality. Likewise, if I go somewhere and everybody is singing my praises that I get up and do a speech and it's wonderful, well, they're going to look at her and like, okay, yeah, she's with her. You know, that's going to open some doorways. So your identification with somebody can either give you access or can get you kicked out, depending, <laughs> depending on the person you're identified with. As Christians, when we say we are born again, in order to fall into that non-sinner category, to be under the headship of Jesus Christ, we have to be identified with him. That's what we are saying, that I'm identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, were any of you physically hung on a cross? I don't think so. But we don't have to be because we're identified with him, and he was. Okay, now crucifixion is a slow, painful death. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. How does that translate to us as we're identifying with his death? The death of our old man, our old self, is going to be a slow, painful process. It's going to take some time. You're going to get upset with yourself because you're doing some things that you don't want to keep doing. But as long as you're making progress, it's okay. All right? We don't get up Now, when I have to go, when I go and walk, and I think, okay, I'm going to walk for an hour. I'm going to walk. I'm going to cover about three miles. Now, ten steps into it, I would be crazy of me to start berating myself because I haven't finished the whole mile, the whole three miles. I've only gone ten steps. I have to realize that it is a process. Now, I know for me to walk those three miles, my process is going to be right at an hour. So I know that, so I know that once an hour comes and goes, I'll have done what I needed to do. For us to be where we need to be is going to take a lifetime. Okay? So there's no point in you getting yourself all beat up and all out of whack. Just do better today than you did tomorrow, than you did yesterday, and then hopefully do better tomorrow than you did today. But you know what? If you don't, that's fine. Because when I'm walking... If I stop and start tying my shoe or chatting to somebody or looking around up at the trees, you know, it's going to take me longer than my scheduled time to do what I need to do. But I don't have to say, oh, well, see, never mind. Now I just might as well give up. Let me just go get back in the car. It's not going to happen. No. So it takes me longer. That's okay. I can keep moving forward. I can keep going. All right, so now we're dead to sin. It means we're freed from the power of sin. We don't want to continue in it uh, anymore. We've been baptized. And now I'm not reading the verses, but we're going through chapter 6. Uh, we've been baptized into Christ, which means we've been spiritually placed into him. Um, and the Holy Spirit identifies us, us with Christ. And 
uh, then there's this internal work that's going on. Now, baptism, water baptism, uh, is an outward display of that internal work. Sometimes we get it confused in churches. And we will tell people that, you know, you need to be baptized. And some people will get it a little twisted and think that I am born again because I got baptized. And that's not it. You get baptized because you've been born again. You need to have that inward change first, that identifying with Christ first. And then, and, they, and I've learned something that was very interesting in the early, uh, early church, they would make people wait before they baptized them because that, that baptism in water is that outward sign so that everybody then knows that you are supposed to be a Christian. And so they would give them some time to make sure this is what you want to do and that you have made that inward connection and that you, have, that you are identifying with him and that you are going through that change. And then you can go out and, you know, shout to the world and have, you know, the baptism in water. And sometimes, I'm not saying that that may not be a better way. Sometimes we baptize people fairly quickly. And I've even, and as seldom as we have baptism services in this ministry, I have seen people that, you know, they baptize, you take them down in water, they get up, they get out of the container, and phew, you never see them again. The strangest thing. And I'm like, well, what in the world happened? And so that lets me know that perhaps that inward work that should have been done first maybe had not been done. Maybe they were at a point where they were acknowledging that they were a sinner in need of a savior, but maybe they weren't quite ready to take the step, you know, over from being under the reign of Adam to being under the reign of Christ. So sometimes we need to, you know, and I can't tell you if you're at that point or not. You know what, you know, what's in you. To go back to our example of the vegetarian, don't stand up and tell me you want to be one when you know you got a hamburger in your back pocket. You know, you have no intention of leaving it alone. And we just need to be honest with ourselves. Some people, there's no point in saying I'm dead to sin when you have no intention of leaving sin alone. Because to say that I am dead to sin, now I'm a non-sinner. When I sin, what does that mean I had to do? I'm, the old man is dead. So what do I have to do to do what that old man did? I have to go back out to the cemetery, dig that dude up, and drag his stinking rotten corpse with me and say, Hey, remember them good times we used to have? Let's go do some of that. Because sin is always waiting at the door, right? We are dead to sin. It's destroyed, made paralyzed in our lives, but it's not annihilated. It's still there. You will still have the option. Just like when you get married. When I married Pastor Stroud, all the men I know did not die away. They are still there. I even had one old boyfriend give me a call and say, hey, if you ever get tired of him, I'm like, whoa. From. So what am I saying? I still have options, right? <laughs> so I could decide to go and, you know, take off my ring and pretend to be unmarried, you know, and use some of those options. Or I could say I'm dead to single life. It's dead to me. It's buried. I'm not going back. 
not digging up singles, Tamiko. She's gone. But that's what we do when we sin. You you dig up that old man because there's an opportunity that comes along that you and he used to have a pretty good time doing. You don't remember the bad part of it. The reason you gave your life to Christ to get away from that, we don't ever remember that. But you remember sin will come along knocking and say, hey, here's an opportunity. And you think, yeah, give me five minutes. I remember where he's buried. I got the grave marked and the shovels in the trunk of the car. Five minutes. I'll meet up with you. We will be right back. And you can go and dig him up and go and do what you're going to do. But the wonderful thing about the Lord and grace is that even if you do, he will still say, all right, come on, let's put, put him back in the ground. Holy Spirit will give you a little nudge. Come on, put him back. You don't need him. We're going to go forward. We're not going to go back. And you can go put him back in the ground, cover him back up, and walk along the process of being sanctified. Now, there's going to be some consequences because somebody will have seen you out with him and say, I thought that you had buried that part of your life. And you'll have to say, well, I had, but I went back and got it. And I apologize to you because that was not a good example. Right? I am a vegetarian. I should not have eaten that steak. But at the time, I couldn't let it go by. But I've gotten myself back on course now, right? God is faithful. He has forgiven me, and I'm going to move forward. And at that time, that person can do whatever they want to do with that information, right? Because I am not the key to your salvation. Jesus is. I make mistakes. Hopefully, I won't make a mistake that turns you away from him. But if I do, all I can do is apologize and try to do better. So we don't want to dig up that old man, do we? Let's let him stay. So it's, it's going to be about choices. Sin uh, still reigns in this earth if you want to serve sin. Sin is always looking um, for a slave. It wants to be somebody's master. Doesn't matter who. Uh, and it is faithful to pay you for your labor, but it pays you with death. The wages of sin uh, is death. So unless you want death, then I would suggest you stop serving sin because we've been freed from its power, but you can submit to it. You can willingly go back and serve it and do what it wants you to do, but just know that you will have death. You hang out at the graveyard, that's what you're going to have is death, death and destruction, and not a physical death possibly right away, But the more, like we said with our example, the more the vegetarian eats meat, the easier it becomes to process it. Their body will just become accustomed to it. And you will become accustomed. When we look out and you see people and you think, why would you live that way? Why would you, you know, when people that are addicted to different kinds of substances, the way they carry on, and you think, why would you live like that? They are serving a master of sin and they are getting paid in death. And you can do that too if that's what you want. But once we've been freed from its power, don't willingly go and submit yourself to it. And that's what we would have to be doing. We're a non-sinner now. We're not subject to 
uh, that king anymore, but you could go and willingly serve it if you want. But you have a choice. Choose life. Thank y'all so much for being a part of our Sunday School program this morning. Uh, did anybody have any questions before we dismiss? We pray that you are richly blessed by today's message. We would love to connect with you. Just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. You can become our friend on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and a whole lot more. Right there at kingdomrock.org. We would love to hear from you. And if you're in the Bremen area, please stop by and join us every Sunday morning. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning is at 10. Wednesday night, we have what's called Hour of Power. It starts at 6.30 p.m. All are invited. We're located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. Give us a call at 770-537-1933. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request, by all means, please log on to our website at kingdomrock.org and click on the prayer page. Until tomorrow, remember that Jesus is Lord. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.